should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because we still can't get Mambo number five out of our heads. For fuck's sake, why would you do that? (laughs) My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, who actually leaked the draft. (laughs) Benedict! Um, anything... Happen in the world over yeah. the last week that um, you might uh, the Supreme Court have sucks, thought but I think was that's new. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't we, know how to start this show today. That. Yeah, um, I mean, I yeah. think you said everything you probably wanted to say before yeah. the last episode. Little, well, little, you actually listened. Three or four minutes into it, listened. Yeah, I always that's, listen. You used to not ever listen. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> So I always just assume you don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, so uh, we're here. Nothing has changed uh, nope. since the last episode, really. Like, we were literally recording that episode, and and you tried to get me to finish because you wanted to talk. Because, of course, you don't pay attention to what we're doing during a yep. show. You were paying attention to social media, and you saw this going around yep. and wanted me to get along so we could talk about it. Um, yeah, bad stuff happening in the world, people. Um I don't know. Still, nothing really has changed. Um, There's been some protests. I was at one here in St. Louis. There's going to be another one uh, next or this upcoming weekend as you're listening to it. Um, So, you know, if there's a protest going on in your area, be a part of it. Mm -hmm. Donate to Planned Parenthood. Donate to all those great organizations that are doing the good work that needs to be done. Uh, But... Interestingly, this episode is mostly about unjust laws and the importance of breaking them, which is obviously nothing nothing to do with what we're talking about, but... Yes, yes, indeed it does. But anyways, Benedict, uh, you probably know, but some of the people out there, they uh, may not be aware of what exactly it is we do on this program. Or them, I would say, this is the show where we go deep, 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 deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative nonfiction and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict! Start us off, do you have a hot take for us this week? Yeah, I do. I mean, it seems fairly trite, honestly, with everything else that's going on. But it, the, the thing is, uh, Elon Musk taking over Twitter isn't anywhere Fuck near you. as important Fuck as people you. think it is. Fuck you. Twitter simply you. does Fuck not you. matter. <laughs> Nobody uses Twitter except people doing a massive circle jerk. Oh, I'm sorry. Millions of people. Millions of people. Like myself ten, included. Ten people use it a day. Maybe. Like, and they've been lying about those numbers. What are you, a spokesperson for Truth Social? They're the smallest mainstream social network by a distance, and those numbers were inflated, which they admitted this week. I don't care. It's only for elites and, well, okay. Okay, I am an elite. I'm fine with that. It is a good place for, it can be a good place for marginalized communities to organize. I will give it that. It is... On the on the global scale, it is nowhere near as important as the other social networks. And and journalists freak out about Twitter because they all think it's the most important thing in the world. And it's not. It just happens to be where they are. So it gets okay, are, are it you, gets undue amounts of attention compared to other social media. Are you That's done personally attacking me? Yep. Are you done with that? Yep. 
Okay, so we can move on now? Uh-huh. Yeah, go What's fuck your yourself. Hot- <laughs> is your hot take go, go fuck yourself? yourself. <laughs> yeah, now it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, Twitter's the best. Go fuck yourself. Uh, my hot take this week, Benedict. Uh, country music is the most inauthentic garbage on the planet. Mm. I say that because I was subjected to country music yesterday. Okay. Uh, how does uh, one... How? We, how? 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 Explain. Uh, because Expound. there was a concert playing, and I was within distance of the stadium, oh, from which no. I cannot My escape nice hearing the goddamn noise. Apartment. Maybe you are an elite. My fancy <laughs> apartment. I could see the concert. The free concert. Fuck Couldn't off. see it. I could hear it, and Fuck that was off. annoying as shit to me. How uh, often can you hear concerts? It must be pretty often. Whenever there's a concert, yeah. How often is that? <laughs> but I would be fine if it wasn't a country music concert. Mm, okay? Name and I had to tolerate. Every, because I, it was a beautiful day yesterday. I was out and about, walking around, and I saw all these dipshits in jeans and cowboy boots and fucking hats and shit mm-hmm. who fucking work office jobs, pretending that they're country. I, I detest that. I detest that. Mm-hmm. And, like, because, in part... I used to fucking love country music. I fucking loved it. Back this, when I was a right-wing shitbag. This feels feels like more... Uh, this feels a I little, lived uh, by it. I feels, lived by country music. This feels music. a little reactionary from you and that you're pushing away the thing that you used to love. I don't know. I don't care if that's what it actually is. Yeah. You know what? You ever heard of Jason Aldean, Benedict? No. You heard of Jason Aldean? One of the biggest country music acts in this country over the last decade? Nope. Huh? Guy who signed a record deal at the age of 21 and before that was playing bars supported by his parents who grew up in Macon, Georgia, population 200,000 and Homestead, Florida, population 6 million and who one of his biggest hits is called Hick Town. Mm. Go fuck yourself, country music. Just, I, I can't, I, like, this rant is great but it will never compare to Bo Burnham's country song parody. <laughs> which, like, just go listen to that. It's fine. <laughs> It literally is, though. Like, country music is nothing but people attempting to portray an image that does not exist in the real world. Yes, there are five people for whom the experience spoken of in country music is a reality of their lives. For everyone else, they're trying to put on some bullshit that isn't real for them. And that annoys the hell out of me, because I I did that. Uh, Anyways, Benedict, what's on your bookshelf this week? Uh, good question. Um, so I think I, I've been watching actually uh, Pachinko, which is on Apple TV Plus. I've been Pachi- really getting Pachinko? getting Pachinko. 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 Balls falling down through yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. machine yeah, 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 yeah. and, and it's it's giving a, it's points? basically a, a family saga about uh, Korean and Japanese families from like ah I thought you were just watching people oh, play no, pachinko no, 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 no. <laughs> there's a, there's a book too um, the book's good but I've I've been watching the the series which is is what uh, reminded me of it so read the book watch the series it's good it's it's like from World War Two to the late eighties uh, like Japanese and Korean family mm. saga. Next week, Benedict will be recommending Crying at H Mart mm-hmm. as part of his uh, cultural appropriation series Excuse on me. this program. Cultural appropriation. <laughs> cultural appreciation. Cultural hey, I've read Crying at H Mart. It's a very good book. It's yeah. a very good book. I like trying to understand other people's stories through mm-hmm. their own lens. It's great. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. What about you? Ah, uh, my this week. Also, yeah, fuck you, Mr. Anime. <laughs> fuck off. Um, they're cartoons, Benedict. Uh-huh. They're for me. I'm a child. Uh, I am recommending this week video game. Mm. Uh, I said uh, earlier this year that this was the year of the the PC game for me, and I've been playing a lot of games. I haven't talked about it much on the show, really. There's uh, been but other one things I've... going on. There's been other stuff. Uh, one game I have sunk oh, too many hours into is a game called Dismantle with a Y. 
D-Y-S mantle. Mm. Um, and it's just a great zombie survival RPG. It's all about collecting all the, the materials you need and crafting stuff. And, and I love that kind of game. I love that open world survival crafting stuff. That's a whole lot of fun for me. So, um... Go spend about 40 or 50 hours on Dismantle, like I did, if you if you want to waste most of your life. Anyways, housekeeping this week. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. And um, I see you, the listener right now who's listening to this. You, you didn't do that yet. You actually, yeah, can you? I, I was looking iTunes. at the reviews on iTunes, and like we don't have a huge amount. And the problem is that our reviews are skewed by some people giving us one star. So I know you think that this isn't important, but we've really annoyed some people, and some people have gone on and given us some, some okay, one star by reviews. By really annoyed, what you mean is they've listened to the first 45 seconds of an episode, realized we're not Trump supporters, and gone on and left a fucking horrible I uh, know someone yelled at us on our Facebook page about Von Mises one time as well. Yeah. Yeah, fuck those um, people. Anyway, to counteract this uh, this <laughs> insurrection against our iTunes reviews, please go and give us a good review. Yeah, I know, yeah, you know, I know it's a pain, and I know people say this all the time, but like, I think our average is at like under four stars, which this show does not deserve. So Jesus, please, this is please, a five star. This is program. at least a four point two star show. <laughs> so please go and try and fix that for us. I am. I never. Yeah. I never weigh in on this. I just like zone out while Kevin talks about iTunes. But I got <laughs> mad about our iTunes reviews this week. So please actually go and go and it yeah even if you uh don't use itunes if you use another app if you have an iphone you have the itunes podcast mm -hmm. app and you can just and you can't it delete it no <laughs> they won't let you anyways benedict uh, update update this week um i misspoke on our last episode um and this is something that i think i do a lot and i think most people uh do when they're talking about this um uh, referring to stormfront and the daily stormer Mm. Those are two separate neo-Nazi publications. <laughs> but I believe I referenced Don Black as the founder of the Daily Stormer when he's actually the founder of Stormfront. Do people correct you on this stuff or do you realize when you listen back? I realize when I'm listening yeah. to the edit because, you know, it, it's easier when I'm listening than when the words are coming out of my mouth, right? Listening is easier than like talking. That. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, also... Uh, some new additions to our favorite group of human beings on the planet, and that is, of course, the Spooky World New World Order. This week, we have a new patron to add. Starshark, you're an addition. New per new patron, new person for the Spooky World New World Order. Starshark, welcome to our... New World Spooky World Order, <laughs> And, of course, one other person who deserves to be added to the Spooky World New World Order this week is, once again, Gamork! Uh, who who recommended the show on Twitter to a group of people in a thread that was going on there. So, Gamork, you are now... I can't say it without yell yelling it. I don't know why, but that that's the way it has to be. You are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. Thank you so, so very much. And of course, if any of you would like to go become part of the Spooky World New World Order... You can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommend it to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us. Uh, leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity. Uh, you know, obviously, Planned Parenthood, stuff like that. I think right now is one of those that mm -hmm. can use us. Yeah, please do that. That would be great. Become a patron or just get my attention with something good. All those work. With all that out of the way, Benedict, we continue our book review of American Marxism by Mark Levin. Levin. Fuck. I, I got his name right for so long, <laughs> and then I fucked it up right there. Who is so conservative that his novelty license plate reads S-T-S-Q-U-O. Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this It week... took you a second to realize what that meant, didn't Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> this week we read the first half of chapter four. Racism, genderism, and Marxism, in which Mark proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that he does not know how to read. No, no. Also, that he is 100% uh, a racist. That bitch, no? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We all know who's 100% that bitch, and it's not him. No. Um, Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title for us this week? Uh, no, honestly, I don't. <laughs> but I, I, can, I, can, <laughs> I can come up with one on the fly, and it's I misread Letter from Birmingham Jail. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. I have two uh, okay. to make up for your, your lack of effort. You always do. Uh, I, I, see this, yeah, I, I give you space to breathe by not doing this. One, uh, the cancellation of Karl Marx, because uh, it's, all, it's all cancel culture, buddy. The other is uh, Marcuse will not replace us <laughs> that one's bad he is not a fan of herbert really hates Marcuse. no i i think um he has a like a blood uh grudge blood against the blood, blood feud, feud yeah. with the Marcuse family for whatever reason uh <laughs> something's going on there uh and mark is not a huge fan but this chapter as you said is racism genderism and marxism and it begins quote the foundational question what is critical theory from which these other critical theory slash Marxist movements sprang? Yuri Harris at Quillette. Okay, so yeah, we're... Good start, yep. Starting off with a... And to be fair, I did uh, this morning have an exchange with our buddy uh, Aaron over at Embrace the Void um, about this guy, Yuri Harris. Apparently they are mutual followers of each other and have engaged in some good-natured debate. So I think Aaron has more respect for this guy than I do. But I will also say... That of the people that mark block quotes to completely lie about what the fuck critical race theory is in this chapter and what critical theory is, Yuri Harris is by far the most benign of those that he's going to be quoting from. Yeah, it's not great. This whole chapter is not great. It's really not. But he continues. Yuri Harris at Quillette explains, quote, critical theory draws heavily on Karl Marx's notion of ideology. Because the bourgeoisie controlled the means of production, Marx suggested they controlled the culture. Consequently, the laws, beliefs, and morality of society reflected the interests of the bourgeoisie, and importantly, people were unaware that this was the case. In other words, capitalism created a situation where the interests of a particular group of people, those who controlled society, were made to appear to be universal truths and values, when in fact, they were not. I don't actually have a huge problem with that as a statement, to be honest. Like, you no, know, it, that, not at all. fine, yeah. Seems, yeah. seems okay. And I think one of the, the big things that I would point out is that Harris and Levin and the other people who he's going to be quoting take that and say that any analysis of culture which says that systems are ingrained and uphold hierarchies is Marxist. Mm-hmm. When that's not necessarily the case. Like... Okay, yeah, that might well, have been a component of Marx's Marx's view of the world, but that's not a Marxist idea inherently. It just depends what you mean by Marxist, as always. Uh, like, yeah. really, like, yes, that is a Marxist analysis of, of it, it, it is a Marxist analysis in the sense that Marx made that analysis. Mm-hmm. But like, you can so there's there's so many different types of Marxism as well. Like, there's historical Marxism. There's like situation. Oh, do you mean it, like, d- d- Benedict? D- do you mean historical materialism? Yeah, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Or Material historicism, yeah, is that what you're talking one, about? one of the two. Who knows? <laughs> 
Vin doesn't know. No, exactly. But like, you can be a historical Marxist without be- like you can think the same things caused history to prog- progress that Marx did without thinking the solutions are the same as Marx did, right? So you can you yeah. can understand history from the same viewpoint as Marx without being a communist pushing Marxist, right? Like that's the point here that gets lost. Sure, and I'll also jump back to to sort of one of the things that I uh, I I think I put forward before, which is that um, I reject the premise, right, mm-hmm. that all of Marxism is inherently wrong or, or incorrect. There were very valid critiques and ideas and analyses that came from Marx and Marxism. Yep. Um, and then we're going to get to later, I think, that uh, there are some some things, particularly with Marcuse and things that Levin is mad about. That where Levin, Levin, Levin. Levin. God damn it! Fuck Mark Levin. Uh, where Levin is very mad about Marcuse and keeps calling him a Marxist, but the very things that he's addressing are things where Marcuse was different than yeah. Marxist ideology. It's an updating of Marx's thinking. That's the whole point. Right. He's trying to add something right. new to the conversation. <laughs> but also, this whole idea here. One thing that stood out to me is this is very similar to Andrew Breitbart's idea that politics is downstream from culture. It's very much the same concept. Yeah, I know. I, I'm not opposed to that idea inherently. Like, I, I, especially, well, I especially think... in a in a mass media market, I'm not. I could be convinced of the idea that all all culture is politics and all politics is culture. Well, I think there's a difference between the idea of systemic structures that perpetuate ideologies mm-hmm. and the Andrew Breitbart idea, which very much was just like. Well, if we can get kids to watch cartoons that have the stuff we say in them, then we will have control of all politics. You say that, but like, like that's what the Daily Wire is doing. They're they're trying. Yeah. They are very much I mean, trying. Cl- clearly, they still think that. <laughs> like, clearly, there are aspects of the right wing that that still thinks you control the culture, you control society. right. But it's also like, it it contains a rejection of reality, right? Mm-hmm. Because very many of the things that they believe are just completely rebutted by reality, right? But they want to overturn that view uh, uh, yeah. an objective view of the world that leads to things that are results that are different what from I what would, they what want what i would say is it's easy for culture to be po- to be downstream of politics if you're never in power yeah yeah that's true because it, when you have to deal with the reality of being in power politics becomes a lot a lot less cultural so much more difficult yeah. which is why um i was just reviewing some stuff not that long ago um and i went and looked at the uh the 2020 uh, republican national convention um and I didn't watch a ton didn't of it. Have I a party platform. <laughs> no, and everything that they spoke about, it was all framed at, from you know, sort of as though they were not in control of the reins of power at the moment, mm-hmm. right? As though they were not um, in charge of the government. It was very much like just you know, attack, 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 because that's what they have learned over the last twenty years. Is it's so much easier to attack than to try and defend what you yourself are doing. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more use to that. But, so, of course, we're going to be talking about, in this chapter, critical theory and critical race theory, which... And that's as far uh, as we get in the first half of the chapter, which yes. is what we're reading. Marx thinks are identical, but, of course, he's a dumb dumb who has no idea what either of those two things are. Uh, critical theory, it is to be fair, is something that comes out of the Frankfurt School. Sorry, a- you mean the Franklin, I. E. Franklin School? School. Yeah. Yes, yes, for Mark. Um, it does come from the Franklin School and uh, <laughs> does come from the Marxist tradition. Um, but it explicitly does, and the people who developed it did reject a number of Marxist precepts. Yeah, again, it's an evolution. Yeah. Like <laughs> very much so. 
But again, I always have to point that out because these people that we read and we talk about do see zero difference between uh, the Communist Manifesto, the Franklin School, right? Uh, critical race theory. Are you saying Franklin School deliberately now? Deliberately uh-huh. now. Uh, Pete, you know, uh, and a school teacher acknowledging racism. They see, and, and, you know, Stalinism. They see no difference between any of those things. Mm-hmm. They have no concept of a difference. Those are all Marxism to them. Because they're dumb dumps, and it annoys the shit out of me. Just t- to no end, completely no end. But anyway, so, critical theory is where we begin, and we will get to critical race theory a little bit further on, which he wants to claim are directly ascended from one another when mm-hmm. there's, there's that's really not the case. But we start off, of course, with the evil Herbert Marcuse. Oh, yeah. Who he, again, is, is not a huge fan of. He describes him as, quote... A German-born Hegelian Marxist ideologue of the Franklin School of Political Theorists. He, again, his editor corrected in our edition, so I'm very angry. I almost feel like the Franklin School version would be a collector's edition just for you and me. We're the kind of people who would want the the Franklin Mm -hmm. School version. Uh, But we get a bunch of block quotes again as we all... Oh, and Jesus Christ, before we get going, how do I even forget about this? Um... I finally, finally did what I've been talking about. And I went and measured with a tape measure the length on the pages of block quotes from other people versus original language by Mark himself. I did that the other night and I texted Benedict the answer to what happened. But I found that of 14 pages, which was all I was willing to go through, because I got tired at that point. I was like, I'm not doing this whole fucking chapter. It's 60 pages long. 14 pages. I found 54.25 inches worth of block quotes from other people. And that is charitable to Mark, because uh, where he did, you know, uh, one sentence that was maybe one line, I didn't count that. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, that's not a block, uh, that's not a block quote. So. Of those 14 pages, the total length of text on the page was 91.25 inches total so of text. A solid 60-odd percent. 59 percent of the 14 pages I looked at were block quotes from people Very other good. than Mark. That's... That's astounding to me. That's really fucking nuts. I wonder what the I wonder what the average is in like an academic paper. Oh god, so much less. I can't think of any book that is so full of block quotes. I really can't. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, block block quotes are uh, the thing because normally you have like one block quote and then you'll analyze mm-hmm. what it says and do a lot right. more thinking about what it says. Okay, or, but like, his version of analysis yeah, is. <laughs> Therefore, something completely opposite of what the person I just quoted said. Yeah, yeah. Yes, like we're about to get to right now, because he starts off, the first thing he's going to be aggressing is the 1965 paper written by Marcuse, Repressive Tolerance, which he says... And just before you start, I think uh, important to... Because we we had a conversation about this previously offline, Mm -hmm. um, comparing and contrasting what Marcuse is saying here with what Popper says about the paradox of tolerance, right? Right. Um, So... Basically, Marcuse, Marcuse's thrust is it is moral and good to be, and correct me if I'm misframing this, but mm-hmm. it, it's moral and good to fight against repressive regimes and break laws to do so if you have to. Yes. Um, whereas Popper's paradox of tolerance is, is more like liberals will always run into the thing where they're trying to be tolerant of people who would shut down their speech if they could. Right. And of course, Levin would rather deal with Marcuse because Marcuse, to be fair is a little bit more openly accepting of the use of violence 
to achieve the ends he wants to see and is also an explicit Marxist. Mercuse was a Marxist. Yep. Um, so, of course, he'd rather deal with that than Popper's much yeah. more measured and, and uh, you know, much more, I think, uh, accepted uh, version of the paradox of tolerance. I think many people um, more today than, than I don't even think people know about Marcuse. I do, I do, I do think it's two sides of the same coin in the sense that like Popper is looking at it from a time where, uh, he sees liberal. Well, he was writing in 1945. Yeah. I think, but I, I, I would say he's, he's writing from a time where he sees liberalism as ascendant. Mm-hmm. Um, and thus like thinking about it in the way of like liberals allowing other people to speak. Whereas right. Marcuse is writing, analyzing repressed people and minority groups in um, 1965 right yeah. i, I want to point out the context for when mark yeah, hughes is yeah, writing yeah, about yeah. this well it's, i mean i think I, very I, important i was i was gonna do it later but like let's do it now um martin luther king he, re- he references the letter from birmingham jail yes um, which <laughs> a, as an example of moderacy um uh-huh. uh, or moderation rather um the letter from birmingham jail if people well he, he it, mentions it so that he can talk about because we'll get to it so, but I, yeah. why not just talk about it here yeah uh, he mentions it so that he can talk about a guy who was martin luther king's chief of staff who rejected who apparently CRT. like five years ago when he was 80 something apparently co-wrote i heavily air quotes because i don't believe this guy in his late 80s actually did much of this something with like a hedge fund billionaire uh, about how crt is so evil right um so that that's the whole reason we got that but as you were saying right he does reference the letter to the birmingham so yeah and and i think it relevant to talk about it here because um in in that letter king talks about a, the failure of white moderates um, and talks about white moderates being a bigger stumbling block to to civil rights than the KKK and other explicit hate group organizations because mm-hmm. they prefer uh, order over uh, order over justice, I think, is the yes. And it's also about taking um, it's the importance of taking direct action against unjust laws which is again exactly <laughs> what marcus is talking about two two years later or so mm-hmm. um and again it's the letter from birmingham jail <laughs> how do people think he was writing from jail unless he broke some laws right and i think you know to, again i'll point out marcus was more openly accepting of violence so it's almost in a way like the what people talk about in a very unnuanced way the martin luther king versus malcolm x uh, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer to talk of it as the Professor X versus Magneto uh, <laughs> spectrum of action. I think that's that's much yeah. more uh, reliable to talk about. Um, yeah, but- although I would say, like, I think even King acknowledged the importance of the threat of violence, right? Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the of like, it, you can't do things without direct action and you can always lose control of direct action. Not to put words in the man's mouth, but like, I, I think the, you know, Anyway, whatever. Not to not to encourage. Right is the voice of the man of the yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. we all know. Um, I can't actually remember the quote off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> we all yeah, know the, the quote. The voice of the unheard. Um, yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's what he's talking about here is this whole repressive tolerance thing. And the quote he gives us is quote. 
1965 paper, Repressive Tolerance, the title of which is a truly perverse, if not bizarre, twist on logic and reality, Marcuse wrote in part, quote, This essay examines the idea of tolerance in our advanced industrial society. The conclusion reached is that the realization of the objective of tolerance would call for intolerance toward prevailing policies, attitudes, opinions, and the extension of tolerance to policies, attitudes, and opinions which are outlawed or suppressed. Mm -hmm. And then he says about that, Mark says about that, quote, Thus for Marcuse, tolerance is actually a ploy instituted by the powerful and conniving forces of the bourgeoisie against the unsuspecting proletariat in which the masses are duped and programmed to support their oppressors. In short, tolerance is used to suppress the people. Not really. What he said, that's not what he's saying, though. He's not saying, oh, I'm so tolerant, like, look at me, now you're oppressed. It's it's the, the illusion of order is the thing. Again, like, is is more important than actual, like, raising Benedict, Would it up. surprise you to learn that I have the actual paper Repressive Tolerance by Herbert Marcuse pulled up on one of my two screens right now? It would not now. surprise me to learn that. I'm sure you And that if I was to do a Control-F search for proletariat... Or bourgeoisie that I would, as a, a matter of fact, uh, find neither of those oh, terms uh, anywhere in this paper. And if I were to, to you know, do a search for uh, other concepts which he puts in there, like suppressed, I would find that he's talking about how, uh, you know, it, it's it's that the the system, the system created, is suppressing the opinions and the ideas mm-hmm. of those who are not in favor. Of society, it's actually a very interesting paper. I would recommend people go read it, and I will uh, link it in the show notes, obviously. Uh, but he's also very clearly in some of these places writing about fascists. He's writing about fascists, and he's writing about people like those who are putting down the civil rights movement. Those are the people who do not need to be tolerated. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know how Mark gets around that. Like, sh- does Mark think that the Sheriff sicking dogs and fire hoses on civil rights protesters need to be tolerated? Mm-hmm. Is that what he believes? Well, that, I mean, that's paradox of tolerance tre- uh, territory, right? And he doesn't engage with that at all. Absolutely not. But I, And I will say that Marcuse thinks those people need to be violently confronted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I sort of agree with Marcuse. <laughs> Fuck those people, right? I think I have, I have gotten much more um, in the last few years as I've gotten a little older and spent time around uh, people who you would term Antifa. Uh, people who are engaging in direct action against fascists on the streets and certainly post-2017 and Unite the Right, I think I've gotten much more openly, personally supportive of uh, direct action Mm -hmm. against fascists and and dickwads. Um, So I don't really see a problem uh, with with what uh, much of what Marcuse is talking about here. But yeah, he definitely does not want to deal with it. It's moral and correct to push back against state violence in any feasible way. Yes, but also uh, the ways he is paraphrasing the block quotes of Marcuse have absolutely wrong. nothing to absolutely do. Absolutely nothing to do with what comes before them. Not even close. Like the next block quote uh, is is one about tolerance is an end in itself. Uh, blah blah blah. You know we are are trained by society to accept certain things like police action against subversion and nuclear war and blah, blah, blah. And then this is the end of that block quote. And the people subjected to these governments are educated to sustain such practices as necessary for the preservation of the status quo, which is sort of reflective of that previous thing that uh, Levin wrote about it, but definitely not the preceding uh, block quote that he had done was. But then, of course, he says about it. Therefore, the public 
public in non-Marxist or non-revolutionary societies are too senseless to realize that they are oppressed and their existence is at the service of the rich and powerful who control the society. And it's, it's, he never said anything about No, again, not what he says. Uh, does not appear, does not appear in there. So, there's another giant block quote, and again, this book is just block quote after block quote after block yeah, quote. Yeah, and it's always and it, like, and then and then Levin goes, in other words, or as you can right. see, or like, therefore, or hence, like, he always opens his next. And, yeah. and all the ideas that are being block quoted, a lot of them, most of them, I would say, are very good ideas. They are things that should make you think. Like, this next one is Marcuse saying that the political locus of tolerance has changed. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's withdrawn from the opposition and it's made compulsory towards the established uh, policies. Right. That's that's an I that's a structural idea. It's something that just, Mark does not want to deal with. Uh, OK, so during this, there are like 10 consecutive paragraphs where he does block quote and then thing. Yep. So can I just. OK, so he introduces in his 1965 paper and then I'm just going to read the, the first bit before the comma of each mm -hmm. of the ones that follow the block quotes. <laughs> so it's thus for Marcuse. It's therefore it's Marcuse claims it's in other words, it's indeed it's hence. <laughs> It's uh, moreover, it's uh, therefore, and it's the inescapable conclusion, and then it's in short. So, yeah. Man, it's nuts. It's like really nuts. Here's a dude <laughs> who is not thinking for himself in any way. It's really astonishing to me. It's, it's fucking mind-blowing. It's fucking mind-blowing. I don't know how he gets away with pretending that this is writing a book. I think he knows that people don't read the block quotes. I like, think he knows that people don't read the book. Well, maybe. Yeah, that, that, so that was the other question I had. Like, who is this book for? Because it's like this pseudo-scholarly thing. It's for bookshelves. Yeah. It's for bookshelves. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, honestly, uh, there are people I know read these sorts. My dad does read these sorts of books. Cause, and, and it takes him, to be fair, forever to finish them. They will sit. He has a table next to his spot on the couch where he has a big stack of all these sorts of books. And every time I go home, I take a picture of that stack and send it to Benedict. Yeah. Uh, because and it becomes, so often... uh, becomes our like next paper. <laughs> yeah. So often books that we have read are in that stack or books that we are going to read are in that stack. And they will sit there forever because it is a very slow process of getting through them. Um, and it is not a process the way we do it of, you know, researching these things as we're reading, finding out what's true and what's not true. He doesn't do that, obviously. But for the majority of people, they want to put something on a bookshelf that makes them look smart or that they think makes them mm -hmm. look smart. And in right wing culture, like when radio hosts are the leaders and heroes of your entire political movement, who, what else are you going to put on there? Right? There's there's not the art of the deal? Sure, I guess. But what else are you going to put up there? Is, uh... Oh, yeah. Shapiro is definitely one of them, right? They all have a copy of, um, you know, what was the book we did? I can't remember the name of it. JerusalemAthens.com. Jerusalem Athens. <laughs> the right side of history is on all those bookshelves. Uh, maybe one Dinesh D'Souza book. That's what it's really about, I think, because... The majority of people do not actually read these. They mm. absolutely... I mean, this book sold a million copies. Go fuck uh -huh. yourself. Less than a quarter of the people who bought this book actually read it. Less than a quarter, I guarantee it. But, uh... So, the, the Marcuse quote that we were talking about continues to go on, and it's Marcuse talking about the way that the state treats uh, tolerance, the way it treats 
um, you know, the people as far as indoctrination and psychology and how uh, there, there is some, some of the element of, you know, where we're uh, trained to be more accepting of rockets and bombs and missiles and militarism. And whereas we're, we're trained not to think about uh, people who are suffering under capitalism by, you know, whatever means. And then he says about it, quote, In other words, <laughs> America as a land of opportunity and freedom is a fiction. And the citizen majority that accepts this fiction is made up of mindless zombies, unable to think for themselves, unwitting servants of their own persecutors, who themselves are undermining the cause of economic and political liberation. Tolerance is the means by which this supposed con is accomplished. Um, again, not at all what Mark Hughes had said in the preceding sentence. Not at all. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> and I also think the addition of the vitriol does also change the context as well. Because Levin is very much making it just a, a completely vitriolic, hate-filled statement about what Mark Hughes said. Mm -hmm. Which is, again, not what Mark Hughes actually said. But then we get a block quote from Mark Hughes about, uh, you know, protagonists of the status quo. Uh, so that's who the state is intolerant towards, anyone who's trying to fight against the status quo. And then he points out that, quote, in the firmly established liberal society of England and the United States, freedom of speech and assembly was granted even to the radical enemies of society, provided that they did not make the transition from word to deed, from speech to action. Mm -hmm. um, and so Levin is portraying that as though he's saying that you should give the ability to people to commit violent actions to the state. Levin says about that, quote, Hence, if American society does not tolerate its own demise or overthrow at the hands of Marxist ideologues and movements, it cannot be said to be truly tolerant. Yeah, that's not what it says at all. No, no. If you look up the, uh, the, the actual paper, which again I have in front of me on my screen here, you'll find that very shortly before that he's talking about literal fascists and Nazis and how the fascist movement rose um, in Europe mm -hmm. in, in the 1930s With and the 40s. With the of the right. Yeah, he's portrayed. What he's talking about there is that this sort of liberalism did give rise. This sort of tolerance of these sorts of ideas did give rise to fascism and Nazism. Yeah, the paradox of tolerance. That's literally yeah. Popper's thing. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, according to Levin, we they want us to tolerate the destruction of society, and it also, you know, Levin's position is not. Uh, it doesn't make sense here, right? It, it doesn't make any sense because. He doesn't actually put forward any arguments. I will say that. He's not actually putting wow. forward any arguments. Wow, I talk to everyone but listening. But if we take what he's saying, we can only conclude that he thinks that you have to be tolerant of everything, right? Mm -hmm. Because he is opposing Mark Hughes's view that you need to be intolerant of intolerance, mm -hmm. right? So then he would say we have to be tolerant of the Marxists. That would be Marx's idea. But we also know that no, he's you have very to be much... No, of fascist but not communist. Kevin. He's very much pro-canceling and censoring Marxists. Yep, yep. yep. It's, it's not. It doesn't make Honestly, sense. Honestly, he's doing more, more to promote them in his book than many of the... Uh, like, I've read more Marcuse <laughs> in Levin than I have read outside of Levin, to be honest. So. Yeah, that is true. Uh, we then jump another page or so, um, and we get uh, to another Marcuse quote where it says, Marcuse declared, I believe that there is a natural right of resistance for oppressed and overpowered minorities to use extra-legal means if the legal ones have proved to be inadequate. 
Law and order are always and everywhere the law and order which protect the established hierarchy. It is nonsensical to invoke the absolute authority of this law and this order against those who suffer from it and struggle against it, not for personal advantages and revenge, but for their share of humanity. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, okay, if if you told Levin that that quote came from Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. he'd fucking he love, love it. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jefferson did say stuff like that and then didn't act on it, but did say stuff yeah. like that. Like that could be a Jefferson quote. But, you know, and again, remember, context, 1960s, yeah. written in the 1960s. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that could easily be, let's let's take Jefferson out of the equation, but that could easily be a Thomas Paine quote. Yes, sure. Like, Thomas, I, Thomas Paine could have written those exact words. I, but I think the difference here is that, well, you know, Thomas Paine would have written about minorities as purely political minorities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Levin is mad that the implication even exists that the minorities that Marcuse cares about might be racial minorities. Mm-hmm. Because Levin is very much a white supremacist, as we've seen a number of times throughout his work, both in his uh, clips from his show, and, and I for- apologize, I forgot to get a clip for this week's episode, so we didn't it's get fine. to listen we have to any Mark Levin. Teeth into. Yeah, we have plenty to go through here. So... Uh, you know, uh, it, it's him saying that it's okay. Marcuse saying that violence can be used. It can be justified in some circumstances. Levin hits back at that with, quote, The inescapable conclusion is that in the end, Marcuse was urging the violent overthrow of American society really in which the established hierarchy was using tolerance to perpetuate oppression <laughs> against the minority. 1965, Benedict! Yeah, taking somewhat of a leap there also. <laughs> Also, well, oh, sure. Yeah, Marcuse never talked about overthrowing society or destruction. And those are the, the ways that Levin phrases this repeatedly. Even when he gets into just talking about critical race theory, he talks about destroying society, overthrowing society. And that's not accurate. The organizing is the... Right. Like, they, like proponents of these ideas, like Marcuse even said there, if legal means don't work, yeah. then violence is justified, right? Like... And the, 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 the thing to be accomplished in that circumstance was, you know, getting rid of all that segregation and stuff, mm-hmm. which in theory, Levin would pretend to be in favor of. But I think we know more about him than that. Uh, of course, we know that the Biden administration, the Democratic Party, they're all about these, these Marxist uh, critical theory arguments. They're all about it. Um, but then we learned that one of the most destructive of these movements are critical race theory. Mm-hmm. CRT. Yep. CRT. He did it right this time, where he'd said it first and then did the acronym. I know, he actually for once finally got it right. Yep. But uh, we start off here learning from two hacks from the Heritage Foundation, uh, Jonathan Butcher and Mike Gonzalez. Um, and Butcher was fun, by the way. I looked him up on Twitter. Uh, because Twitter does matter, Benedict. Go fuck yourself. Um, and one of his recent retweets is a Christopher Rufo retweet, mm, yeah, uh, where he's claiming that uh, you know uh, there's obviously you know you know how the Biden administration is putting up uh, putting together a censorship board um, that's going to destroy society. Yeah, you, know you know how that thing? is. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. You know how that's happening. Uh, the Rufo tweet was about how this woman was talking to a group of people and said uh, that people pushing the CRT narrative are uh, they're just going about disinformation. Uh, for money and to push their political ideas, and Rufo was mad about that. Rufo, the guy who has openly said that he is lying about what CRT is yeah. to push his political ideology. Yep. Rufo, that guy, yep. he's mad. Yep. That's fun. Anyways, these two guys are total hacks who know fucking nothing, or if they do, are fucking lying out their ass, because these are the things that they say CRT promotes. 
in a, a, a quote-unquote study they wrote called The New Intolerance and Its Grip on America. And these are the points they put forward. Quote, The Marxist analysis of society, made up of categories of oppressors and oppressed, that's one of the things that uh, they put forward. Also, I should point out that the classical Marxist analysis is a class analysis, mm-hmm. not just a, a oppressors and oppressed yeah. analysis that they're pretending is what Marxism is about. Uh, next, the idea that the oppressed impede re- revolution when they adhere to the cultural beliefs of their oppressors and must be put through re-education sessions. Uh, no. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Big no uh, Next. On that one. The concomitant need to dismantle all societal norms through relentless criticism. And fourth, the replacement of all systems of power and even the descriptions of those systems with a worldview that describes only oppressors and the oppressed. Benedict, none of that has fucking anything to do with critical race theory. Nothing fucking at all. Um, And then we get the next guy, George R. Lanoue. Uh, who is some political science dude at the University of Maryland. He's a big nobody. Like, nobody gives a fuck. But he wrote something criticizing CRT that Mark liked, so he puts it in here. Uh, And he describes CRT as, quote, and I'm sorry, but I have to read this whole fucking giant paragraph because this is amazing. Quote, CRT begins with the presumption that race is the primary way to identify and analyze people and consequently posits a racial hierarchy that supposedly exists with whites on top and blacks at the bottom. Individual behavior is insignificant because everyone in America functions within a society of systemic racism, structural racism, and institutional racism. CRT affirms this perspective by pointing to various existing racial disparities, which it claims are the result of racist discrimination. According to this perspective, efforts by public and private organizations to enforce civil rights laws in employment, housing, contracting, education, etc. are all either it's insufficient or pointless. CRT offers two responses to this situation. First, all whites must admit their culpability by confessing the advantages white supremacy confers on them. Failure to do so reflects white fragility and instinctive defensiveness that whites are said to display after they have been trained about their investment in racism. Second, individual whites cannot hide behind any personal history of non-discrimination or the desirability of race-neutral laws or policies because the collective action of their race has been oppressive. That paragraph is bananas. Yeah, it's 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 garbage. And the one thing I would say is, um, he so uh, you you skipped over it, but like he describes this as um, CRT through the writings of quote the two best-selling components <laughs> of CRT, which Robin is, D'Angelo and Ibram X yeah, Kendi. Yeah, which, fine, Kendi, fine, whatever. I think even like D'Angelo is pretty widely seen by everyone as a hack a little bit. Like a lot of people are like, okay, Robin, go go sit in the corner. Yeah, again, Robin D'Angelo is a a white person. Like, not that Mm -hmm. that matters, but I feel like it's important to the context of this because we get into some Robin D'Angelo critiques later as well, which is like Uh accusing someone of being anti-white without saying that they themselves are white, which is um, (laughs) like. So I think that's important to say. And also, I mean, this the 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 kind of nutso or the not nutso that's unfair but it, like, no it's not so it is not yeah so but that's that is an exaggeration of d'angelo's thinking um right i think rather than any like critique of actual crt theory it's it's mm-hmm. De- like, the white fragility thing is d'angelo like that's d'angelo all the way down like that's yeah. so and I, I yeah so i will point out here just to give a basic idea because even a lot of people um you know who, who have are, are you know 
decently minded probably don't know what critical race theory actually is. No, um, I, to be honest, I don't really know. Like, I have a vague sure. idea, but I don't have a, a master's degree level, like, <laughs> detailed understanding sure. of it. Like, On the other hand, I do. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because critical race theory is it's a legal a theory, right? Legal yeah. theory. Yes, it came out of Harvard Law School in the 1970s, uh, 1980s, and there's a guy named Derek Bell. Um, who will get who to? Was, who we will get to. We will get to. Derek Bell is probably the person who first started this movement. Um, and then you get people later on who sort of, you know, came up with the, the terms and things, what it was called. But Derek Bell was a lawyer with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund in the 1960s. He did over 300 um, school desegregation cases, cases with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. And where critical race theory begins is him later as a law professor looking back on his own work and looking back on cases like Brown versus Board of Education, and questioning, did we actually achieve the good we were trying to achieve? And his answer is, well, yes, we did some good things, but uh, a lot of the stuff we did was very easily turned around by white racists and people who wanted to continually perpetuate racism, and we still have a number of places in this country where, despite our efforts, this system we put into place resulted in still majority or overwhelmingly black-only schools that are underfunded, that don't provide the sort of benefits that we are trying to create. And that's where you get into talking about structural racism. That's where you get into talking about how these things are ingrained in our society and in our legal system. And that's why we still have so many of these problems. Mm -hmm. And so there are things that are central to critical race theory. There's a critique of liberalism in the sense uh, that I think many, uh, you know, many, the people who I do get annoyed at when they say, I'm not a liberal, that is the sort of liberalism that they're, <laughs> they're mad at mm -hmm. <laughs> that is actually being critiqued in this way, right? Because the, the idea of colorblind racism is very much a classical liberal idea, if you want to call it that. Uh, middle of the, cent the last century liberalism is very much about colorblind racism. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the sorts of things where, well, you can have colorblind, uh, you know, uh, colorblind policies uh, that will still perpetuate racism because, yeah, because they're, you haven't they're dealt... perpetuating the status quo in the same way Marcuse was right. talking about. Right. You're not dealing with the underlying issues. We still have never dealt with the wealth inequality that was a ma major problem uh, that uh, still continues to perpetuate so much of our racism through these colorblind policies. And there's, you know, I hate to go to a meme, but there's always that meme of the three people standing at a fence trying to yeah, see the baseball yeah. what, game, what's right? equity versus equality? Equality versus equity, right? So equality is uh, one person's really tall, one is short, and one's in a wheelchair, right? Equality, they all are standing on uh, a box, and now the really tall guy is just really, really high up. The short person can see over the fence, and the person in the wheelchair can, like, barely see over the fence. And then equity, they're all given, you know, something that, that equals the height they need to see over the fence, and the guy who's really tall doesn't have anything to stand on, right? And I think so that's... what you're saying is from each according to their means to each according to their needs. You know, almost, <laughs> almost. Yeah, you might say, you might say. And that is the thing when, you know, the right gets really mad. You want equality of outcomes and you can't guarantee that. It's like, yeah, we know we can't guarantee that, but we can do our best <laughs> to try and provide that sort of equity that would be yeah, most advantageous the, the, to society. The, the, the problem is often, like, not to get too far off topic, but, like, that stuff often gets tied up in, like, means testing and stuff, when yeah. sometimes it's easier, like with the pandemic checks, just to get them to absolutely everyone you can. 
and like yeah. say okay we gave it to too many people but like whatever like yeah. sometimes like it, misguided attempts to do equity instead of equality do often lead to like not enough people getting stuff because of stupid means testing rules sure absolutely absolutely and but i will say going back to what critical race theory is one of the examples that's commonly brought up uh employment law is an area where people where there's a lot of writing in critical race theory because obviously there's discrimination and hiring and firing things like that to come on that's where you can do like ideas of intersectionality uh which i i still um a couple episodes ago, I don't remember. It was, uh, oh yeah, that's right. When we had Morgan on, she was giving a description of intersectionality and I interrupted her because I always go for the cheap joke. But her description of intersectionality uh, and how it, it works, right, where you have uh, a place where, um, you know, they, they have hired black people, they have hired women, but they have not hired black women, right? And so that's where intersectionality comes into play uh, with things like that. Anyways, like I said, critical race theory is a legal movement. And I will say that there are people who have tried to extend the sort of critical race analysis to other areas outside of the legal spectrum. People like Robin D'Angelo are part of that group that have done that. Uh, some people have done it well. Some people have done it poorly. But underlying all this is the idea that structural components of our society perpetuate racism. And that there are, you know, a lot of this is a historical analysis. Uh -huh. There's a lot of, uh, uh, in critical race theory, there's a lot of analysis placed on narrative storytelling and on people giving their experience, you know, uh, explaining these experiences through story as a means to create change. And the big difference that I think scares a lot of people like Mark Levin mm -hmm. is that critical race theory does, rather than a lot of other uh, fields that are just uh, descriptive rather than prescriptive, mm -hmm. critical race theory does call for structural change. Yeah. It is it a field to. in which... It, yeah, it's a field in which these people who are, are doing the literature, creating the, uh, the body of work, are calling for various changes to remedy the problems that are in mm -hmm. place. But then we get... Thomas Sowell, mm -hmm. uh, who we have talked about, I think, a couple of times on this show. And this is brought up because Thomas Sowell is a black guy who doesn't like CRT. Mm -hmm. It's Benedict doesn't like it when I bring up tokenism because, and he is correct, we are two white guys. We are not the people to be talking about tokenism uh, with people of color. We are not the people to be talking about that. Uh, I can talk about tokenism from my own perspective as a white guy who was a piece of shit. Uh, and engaged in tokenism. I can talk about it from that perspective, and I can talk about it where I know why Mark Levin, in his mind, would think that Thomas Sowell would be the person to use, even though Thomas Sowell is a big dum-dum. Uh, but we're not the people to be talking about why Thomas Sowell himself and his personal motivations to go about, um, you know, uh, criticisms of any sort of attempt at equality. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, we're... But he brings up Thomas Sowell, and um, the guy really doesn't have anything interesting to say to me. I, I don't know why, I just, I can't find anything interesting about what he has to say. One of the few things he said that he, I even highlighted in this section is, quote, Sowell explains that even if one believes that environment is key to intergroup differences, that environment includes a cultural legacy from the past, and the past is as much beyond our control as the geographic settings and historic happenstance that have left not only different individuals or races, but whole nations and civilizations with very different heritages. And that I only highlighted because that is, A, uh, an admission that history does affect what's happening yeah. now, <laughs> while the entire preceding giant block quotes from Sal were rejections of the idea that history can have any effect on what's happening mm -hmm. now. 
And it also, you know, that whole, what I just read, is basically saying, well, it's, it's history. You can't change history. Yeah, that's why we need to change things now. That's why we have systemic racism. Mm-hmm. That's why we need structural change. And these people just ignore those things. They just ignore those things. But then getting down to Mark once again talking, he says, quote, In fact, CRT goes beyond arguing that different cultures are equally valid. It declares that society is a systemically racist, white-dominant culture and enlists those who are disaffected, dissatisfied, and malcontented into a growing legion of anti-American revolutionaries where minorities are at dagger points with the white-dominant societal forces. Ooh, isn't that scary? (laughs) Okay. Isn't that scary how there's people who, who don't want white supremacy? Yeah. Isn't that scary? But then we get to the next page. We get the stuff about Derek Bell. And mm-hmm. I already talked about Derek Bell, so we don't really need to go into him very more. Um, and, of course, he brings up Kimberly Crenshaw because intersectionality is scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ah, and that's where they always get... Intersectionality is where they always pull from their whole thing. Oh, it's all about how much oppression you have. It's the war of the oppressions. Oppression and like Olympics, we said, they love to say. Kimberly, oh, Kimberly yeah. Crenshaw's um, <clears throat> description brilliant. of critical race theory is actually perfect, though. Oh, yes. That's what I wanted yeah, to read yeah, was it's, her it's description. It's a perfect description of it. Compared to all this stupid bullshit that uh, really these other people are quoting it. incredibly well. It's a great yes. soundbite. So this is an interview she did on CNN in 2020, and she describes it as, quote, a practice, and it's an approach to grappling with a history of white supremacy that rejects the belief that what's in the past is in the past, and that the laws and systems that grow from the past are detached from it. Critical race theory attends not only to law, and there is, uh, I will say, he does an end quote and then starts a new quote, so he might be quoting from a different section here and just doing that bait and switch. I don't know. I didn't bother to look into this one. Critical race theory attends not only to law's transformative role, which is often celebrated, claimed Crenshaw, but also to its role in establishing the very rights and privileges that legal reform was set to dismantle. Like American history itself, a proper understanding of the ground upon which we stand requires a balanced assessment, not a simplistic commitment to jingoistic accounts of our nation's past and current dynamics. Mm-hmm. And that is a fucking great... Perfect. I mean, you've never you've never had as good of a quote as that. I don't never think written about what critical race theory is. In my life, it's amazing because Mark can't argue against that, so he has to lie about the quote he just put in his book, mm-hmm. where he says, "quote." In other words, CRT undermines and exploits America's unique and very successful fusion of diversity and cultural assimilation and considers all issues in context of past societal imperfections regardless of enormous struggles and efforts in creating a more perfect society. Well, we tried. Why aren't you happy? Oh, Benedict, the next thing, after what I said, comma, including a civil war... Mm. And that is so much. It's always very oh, funny God. to me, as if like half of America did not oh. want to. Like, who do you, why? Who, who do you think oh, fought Benedict. in the Civil War? Every white racist I have ever known would say, "Well, how many white guys died in the Civil War freeing those slaves?" Yeah, how like, many of your relatives died? <laughs> yeah, he was on the South Side. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, fucking a! That's just weird. Massive economic redistribution and groundbreaking legal changes. Even more, it incorporates and advances an increasing list of causes as new or additional reasons for eradicating society and transforming the country. That is not fucking at all what Kimberly Crenshaw said. That is some horseshit yep. bait and switch nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's it's. Uh, 
it's crazy to me because she verically explicitly said that we did have we did have uh you know uh, uh, legal, legal advances we did have things yeah, yeah. like brown v board and critical race theory is about looking at well why did we need that in the first place and what else needs to change to avoid exactly exactly it's so insane to me that these people think well we had a civil war and then in the 50s you got to go to our school so everything's solved why would there be any more problems yeah. why do you want to keep talking about this <laughs> it's so nuts man it's so nuts but then we're back to Mark Hughes again because mm-hmm. he cannot get off the guy. He says, quote, Despite Mark Hughes's call to revolution among minority groups, some Marxist purists saw CRT as diffusing or undermining Marx's material historicism. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those not in the know, that is that is not how the phrase is. It's historical, uh, it's historic materialism. Materialism. historical materialism. That is the notion of class-based struggle based on economic conditions. Skipping down a little ways. For example, the Marxist and the critical race theoretician. For the Marxist and critical race theoretician. The past is evidence of manipulation, exploitation, mistreatment, and corruption of different classes of people. America is therefore an irredeemably contemptible society that must be relentlessly condemned and ultimately then why don't you quote any of these people saying that mark if that's what they think why aren't you quoting them saying it rather than calling for systemic change Mm -hmm. which is what they actually want the reason is because mark thinks that a change to society that would get rid of those advantages that white people have things like if we just had basic affirmative action that did increase the number of people of color attending our top universities that would be the destruction of American society because American society is white society to Mark because he's a fucking racist. But he continues, quote, it is the Marxist and critical race academics and activists who create these categories for their own convenience and revolution. Any purposes, I'm sorry, not any, revolution dash airy. (laughs) That's a fucked up way to do that. Purposes when demanding the dissolution of society and its rebirth as some utopian autocracy or mobocracy. Mm. I like the mobocracy part there because you and I know he he just means we're uh, we have a majoritarian democracy. Do you, do you know what the funny thing about that is? That is what democracy means. It is the will of the mob, <laughs> like it's the will, will of the people. That's literally what democracy means. I know, but he's mad that it, it, it's probable that uh, after the upcoming 35, 40 years of darkness, we're about to have uh, that we might actually finally have a majoritarianism sometime in the near future. Uh, that wouldn't that be great yeah. if we we got sure. through the thirty years of darkness and then got maybe yeah and then maybe when I some retire, of that we can well then I can <laughs> run for senate because I'll be the right age to run you for senate. You think you're gonna be able to retire someday? That's cute. Yeah. That's fun. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'll be sixty five and then I'll run for senate because you're not allowed to before then. Yeah, sure. Uh, so he says uh, CRT disdains progress, um, and then. I think he just means that CRT claims that progress is not done. All these people think like now is like perfect times. Yeah. Why why do you like, we should continue to improve society somewhat. Why not? Let's give it a go, lads. Let's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, what he's getting into here is the, uh, the uh, introduction to critical race theory by Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanik, Mm -hmm. uh, which I have right here next to me uh, because 
I don't trust his quotes from this book. And who would who would guess? I was right not to trust okay. the way he was quoting from this book. Uh, this, uh, by the way, I will highly recommend this. Uh, if you haven't read it and you are interested in CRT at all, uh, pick up, um, it's called An Introduction to Critical Race Theory by Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanik. That's his wife. Um, and it's a brilliantly written uh, little short, relatively, uh, 200-ish pages thing about critical race theory. If you want, go ahead and pick that up. But he says, uh, this is a quote from that book, according to him, by rejecting equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of uh, constitutional law. Or actually, that's not a quote. It's just a, re so, it's a weirdly, really weirdly written quote. Because, like, he, 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 like... Well, that's not the one I had a problem with that I was going to specifically No, but just talk listen, about. listen to how weird this is. By rejecting, quote, equality theory, legal reasoning, established enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law, end quote. Like, why? He's just quoted a list and not put it in context at all. Yeah, I know, right? Then he gets to write whatever he wants yeah. on either end of it. But like, yeah, I that's could, always fun. That's weird. Like, I could write about Nixon, uh, oh, not Nixon, Reagan, by, by, by accepting, quote, communism. <laughs> unquote reagan <laughs> you're like what no yeah and uh i mean what he's doing there it's another bait and switch where he calls it rejecting um and as yeah, which they, is notably I, not in quotes i put my tab on the wrong page uh so it's not here for, for that particular quote but uh what they actually say is that they question those things right delgado and stefanik in the introduction writes that critical race theory questions those concepts which of course he immediately calls rejecting mm. i will say that uh, I think a lot of those should be rejected. Yep. Equality theory, um, legal reasoning, that's uh, what he's really talking about is like, you know, the the model of legal reasoning that's used uh, because there are great problems with it. Enlightenment rationalism, I'm not sure where that comes with comes from. And neutral principles of constitutional law. It's the idea that those principles are neutral that is being questioned, yeah. right? Those sorts of things. It's all... A whole bunch of horseshit, but he says CRT reveals itself as a radical dogma and fanatical cause led by true believers. And I would say that the person who pretends that the word questioning equals rejection is the person with a radical dogma. Yeah. And of course, who also accuses everyone of being a fucking Marxist when they aren't Marxists. And that's the sort of person who's got that sort of problem. But uh, going back again to quotes from the book, he, he now has a quote from critical race theory, which is, quote, colorblind or formal conceptions of equality expressed in rules that insist only on treatment that is the same across the board can thus remedy only the most blatant forms of discrimination. Yeah. Dot, 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 dot. Four dots this time. Mm -hmm. I swear, he always uses the four dots. The three dots are when he's making a mistake. We have been over this. I think the no, four I dots is... No, I think the is... four dots is when he's ending a sentence. Three dots is when he goes back to it. But you wouldn't do that. You don't that's need to put another dot. I'm just telling you that's what he does. It's not a mistake. He does it deliberately. It doesn't make sense I know. to do that. I know, but it doesn't make sense to do four dots either. So we've just got to find the path of least resistance here. Anyways, but then he does his explanation of what that means, which is totally not what that means. Therefore, goes the argument, widespread white privilege and white supremacy are a scientific fact that must be acknowledged if there is to be any true racial progress. References to and actions based on promoting colorblindness or equality are meaningless and superficial diversions away from real cultural revolution. <laughs> so two big things there. One, the 
paragraph that he quoted from Stefanik and Delgado did say that uh, race-blind procedures can remedy the most blatant forms of discrimination. That's exactly what they said. They said mm-hmm. that, that it can. That's, that's the thing. Uh, and second there, the use of cultural revolution, when, of course, cultural revolution is not discussed in the fucking book. That is a Marxist buzzword that Mark wants to have in here to mm-hmm. claim. They're, they're all about that Marxist revolution, that cultural revolution. Mao. Think of Mao. Think of these people. Think of Mao. That is that's what it's always it's about. It's just... It's so nuts to me. It's just so insane. But then we get, he's going through, basically, I will tell you, he is just going through, uh, like, page one to page eight of <laughs> this book. By, yeah, it, literally, it's the introduction. He's going through the introduction, and he's just pulling out tiny snippets of quotes and lying about what they mean, right? That's what's going on here. Because the next one, he's just going, he's like, the first feature, the second feature, and that's literally under F. On page eight, that's what they did. The first feature, the second feature, the third feature. And he's pulled quotes from those portions. So that's just what he's doing here. He's just being a lazy hack who doesn't want to do the actual work of writing anything. Mm -hmm. But then we get to, on the next page, a quote from Mark, which says, quote, If you are somewhat perplexed by this third theme, and the third theme is social construction, uh, is that race uh, and races are product of social thought and relations, that they're not objective. So race is not objective. It's a social construct, right? He says about that, quote, If you are somewhat perplexed by this third theme, it is understandable. The CRT theoreticians and movement try to advance two conflicting ideas at once. First, that minority groups are discriminated against based on their racial, gender, ethnicity, etc., Yet these categories of minority groups are said to have been invented by the unjust society for stereotypical purposes. Actually, it is the critical theory advocates, he's mixing up critical race theory and critical theory Mm -hmm. there on purpose, I think, who talk and write about groups and develop new groups of people who are said to be subjected to injustice and discrimination known and unknown, conscious and unconscious, interminable and everywhere in a stereotypical fashion. Hence, identity politics, intersectionality, Etc. <laughs> he has to do the etc. But to that entire paragraph Mark has, I would simply ask the question, so are Italians white, Mark? <laughs> are Italians white? Because that question, I, that, that, I mean, Italians were not, cons- that's the thing, right? The idea of whiteness, the yeah. idea of race, this is all socially constructed. Mm-hmm. It's entirely socially constructed because for people like Mark, He can separate people into what he would think of as ethnic groups, like Spaniards, or Italians, or Mexican, or whatever. But, if he were to go to Africa and be surrounded by a number of groups, he would have no fucking clue about the difference between a fucking Hutu or a Tutsi, Mm -hmm. or the various different groups that people in Africa can self-identify as and separate into groups as because they are social constructs that Mark has no familiarity with whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And groups like Italians once were not considered white, and now they are. Hence, non-objective, subjective social criteria. Mm -hmm. Just astonishing to me the amount of blindness uh, you have to have to write that stupid fucking paragraph he did. Just completely crazy to me. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's not unlike the rest of the book, Kevin. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) No, it's not. No, it's not. So, you know, uh, academia, creeping Marxism, uh, it's getting into all the schools. CRT is in all your schools. They're they're coming for your kids. The the focus on they're coming for your kids. 
is i mean it's a, everywhere it's a, it's a big one these days yeah they love to they yeah love to... yeah i mean you can tell that he wrote this caught up in the newest craze right mm-hmm. he totally did um but uh then uh thomas uh sowell comes back up yeah with the uh, diary about stuff again yeah just just to say thomas sowell believed that bell was not competent to teach yeah. at harvard okay thomas sowell um, thank you for your okay. opinion we'll take it into okay account. Tom, yeah Okay, Thomas Sowell, non-lawyer, who is not in a place to say whether someone is competent to teach at Harvard Law. Also, I will mention once again, um, Derek Bell did over 300 school desegregation cases as the uh, leading attorney of the NDAACP Legal Defense Fund. Mm -hmm. He was more than fucking qualified to teach at Harvard Law. Mm -hmm. He was fucking brilliant. Thomas Sowell, on the other hand, uh, was given an endowed Hoover Institution chair named after Milton Friedman. Mm. So then that so you wonder why that, that comes something. from yeah yeah and he was he was uh, given some awards uh, by Ronald Reagan that, that he wouldn't have gotten if there were any objective criteria to give out those awards so there's that sort of stuff going on Sal is a fucking idiot I I don't give a shit about him but yeah more criticism of Derek Bell. Uh, he claims, uh, without actually addressing anything that Bell had to say, that he was critical mm-hmm. of civil rights advances and. To the extent that Bell analyzed whether they truly achieved the ends that they were meant to achieve. They didn't do what they were ideally set out to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. We still ended up with all black or mostly black schools that were not as well as the, the white schools. Uh, that sort of thing. That that's what Bell was was talking about. That may that they didn't address the structural issues when they did when they did like Brown v. Board, right? They came up with a new legal framework, but that legal framework was insufficient mm-hmm. to deal with the structural and societal issues. That's what Bell was talking about. And uh, there's some stuff in here where Bell was writing about critics of critical race theory, mm-hmm. uh, which he does. You know, Levin doesn't have a comeback for. He just says that well. Martin Luther King Jr.'s chief of staff wrote uh, a thing with yeah, this, this uh, hedge fund billionaire. Basically, the whole text of the letter from Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. Just at eighty-seven, this thing—it was a, a like an op-ed in twenty fifteen. I don't remember where it was published. I didn't pull it up, but I will link it in the show notes. I'll find it and link in the show notes. Um, Steve Klinsky is the guy he wrote it with, and apparently, because Klinsky and this other guy had a big thing for, and I, I think this guy is now dead. Uh, the guy. The King's uh, chief of staff is now dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died in 2018. But Klinsky and this guy had a whole thing about charter schools. Mm. So that's why they were working together. And this thing was written in 2015 when uh, Walker is the guy's name, who was uh, Martin Luther King's chief of staff, was 87 years old. Uh, and they wrote this op-ed about how critical race theory, which is fashionable and it's Marxist, they wrote about, well, it's, it's all about putting people into racial groups. It was just right-wing buzzwords about CRT is all it was. And to some extent, it was ahead of the curve because CRT was not the buzzword back in 2015. Yeah, that's true. It was being talked about, but nothing like in the last year or two, right? It's really become the new thing in the last year or two. Chris Rufo had amazing fucking success on that front. Mm -hmm. But so yeah, it's more of this Walker guy. He didn't like CRT, so doesn't that mean that Derek Bell's an idiot? Great. Great stuff. Cool, yeah, thank you. Isn't, isn't that just wonderful analysis? And then he says about CRT, quote, Indeed, CRT is a pseudo-scholarship. Hatched at Rich from my guy. <laughs> by a small cabal of Marxist law professors led by Bell, 
based on victimization, emotional appeals, balkanization, and separatism. Emotional appeals, Mark? You're criticizing things that are made based on... <laughs> the entirety of this book is him putting forth, you know, block quotes from people that are reasonable, followed by emotional screeching from Mark. That's what this whole book has been. By now, it should be clear that it is a Marxist-based ideology laced throughout with raw bigotry, antagonism, and hate. Um... No, is, it's not. No. It's not clear. I don't know what's telling you. You've just claimed that. Yeah. You haven't proven it at all. It's just nonsense. But then, this next sentence, which I do enjoy, is, quote, Not surprisingly, Delgado and Stefanik promote legal storytelling and narrative analysis as among the most effective forms of persuasion, not serious scholarship. Uh, I will skip back a page to page 98 and read from that letter that Walker wrote, or I would say Klinsky wrote and put Walker's name on, which said, quote, To teach ourselves to comprehend each person, not as a symbol of a group, but as a unique and special individual with a common context of shared humanity, to go to that fundamental place we are all, where we are all simply mortal creatures, seeking to create order, beauty, family, and connection to the world on its own, seems to bend too often towards randomness and entropy. Doesn't that sound like maybe talking about some people's stories yeah, might does. be an important part yeah, of accomplishing so. yeah, that yeah, goal? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think Mark would do himself some, some great good if he were to sit down and read some people's fucking stories. Mm-hmm. I think he'd really better. Stories are very that. powerful. People should read yeah. stories. Then we get back to these Heritage Foundation hacks, and at this point, I was just like, God damn it, Mark, you're pissing me off so much. Because I said, the crazy is back in this chapter, right? The crazy is back. Uh, the sort of crazy we got in that first chapter. Where, you know, last chapter, and a little bit before that, it was like we were at the store, and like, Mom, can I have some crazy? She's like, no, we have crazy at home. That was the crazy at home. This is the store-bought crazy, where Mark is just screaming that everything is Marxism. That is, if I could best encapsulate what we have read in this chapter so far, yep. it is Marx looking at a cat, screaming that it's Marxism. Uh, or Mark looking at a, a, a water bottle, screaming that it's Marxism. Uh, Mark looking at a, a Toyota Prius and screaming that it's Marxism. Oh, Toyota Prius is our Marxism. Oh, they He's are. Right about They're, uh, oh, fuck, dear. We're going to have to do it. So do you remember... Um, I don't know if you remember this, but this was a big thing for me. Glenn Beck, one time on his show back when he was big, he did this whole thing where he had a watermelon on stage. He had a watermelon, Mm -hmm. and he cut it open, and he said, See? Green on the outside, red on the inside. (laughs) And it was all about how green policies were secretly communism no i understand i've heard that i've heard other people say that about other things i love that so much yeah that was one of the greatest things i'll never forget that because that's just that is republican politics in a nutshell right there if you understand that moment you understand everything you need to know about republican politics from like 2008 to uh, yeah. when Obama got out of office. So let's be honest about it. <laughs> like that, that's all you need to understand about it. But uh, it's these two Heritage Foundation hacks, once again, uh, just saying some bullshit that doesn't mean anything. They're just fucking liars, and I don't really give a shit about what they have to say. They're big assholes. And then uh, it's back to saying, you know, the CRT people, they say society is incurably racist. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and why is that? Because they don't give us the Marxist egalitarian workers' paradise. That's why these people hate all these. Even though, once again, he has failed to produce any quotes from these people. While I know Mark, um, he does not hate block quoting. 
and I'll sit here and read it. If you can find the quote of Richard Delgado saying the Marxism, Mark, go ahead and do it. And even if they did, they'd probably be putting forward a more interesting point than Mark Levin had to put forward <laughs> into the world. But then we get to a little talk about hate speech. Mm. Um, and uh, I will say Delgado and Stefanik have a very nuanced discussion of hate speech in the book um, that is very interesting to read. Um, and one, I, I should say part of the reason why I claim to have some expertise on CRT is because uh, one of my law school professors that I took a number, actually two of them, that I took a number of classes with um, are two of the leading lights in critical race theory. People who, uh, in the, the volume, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's volume, Critical Race Theory, uh, they have multiple articles in there that are part of that, you know, what is considered the all the, the foundational works of the movement. Um, so I did experience this stuff in law school. Uh, and I did seek out more information about it. It's why I owned uh, the book by Delgado and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, he, he can't. He can't find any of this sort of stuff uh, that that really deals with the mm -hmm. things he wants to address. Yeah. So he has to take pretty bland language from Delgado and claim that this stuff about hate speech and the fact that hate speech is tolerated under American law and how that affects people of color uh, and how this is because that's the way the system is built. The system is built to tolerate mm -hmm. hate speech, which is a structural issue. Well, that's because they're just Marxists. They, they want to get rid of arguments that are they're against when they're explicitly talking about hate speech. Um, they're Marxist censors who want to cancel the First Amendment. That's what they want to do, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, we all want to cancel the First Amendment. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I know Mark wants to cancel Marxism. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I don't think he's actually against cancel culture no. at all and he actually does use the phrase cancel culture does, which is yeah. great of course he has to he says for crt advocates counter speech more speech and the marketplace of ideas are all poisoned by white dominance and privilege of course this leads to repression censorship and today's cancel culture which i address in a later chapter and that's in response to delgado and stefanik talking about the internet and how, yes, you can have counter speech on the internet, but there's, you know, that doesn't address the underlying issue of people who encounter this racist speech and may affect the way they act and interact with the world. Uh -huh. That's what they're writing about. But anyways, we're almost at the end, I promise. I this know. is... <laughs> See, God, this was a long heavy, one. This yeah, was a long one. You always think one, this, is problem, this is the problem. You always think we can do thirty pages, no problem. And then this is oh, what always happens. We need to do twenty. Is. We need to institute a twenty-page maximum. Well, I'm going to skip forward. Okay, right? I'm skipping That's forward. Fine. I'm going to page one hundred and four now, uh, and this is where he's talking about a book that apparently is how they're sneaking the CRT into the schools and corrupting the kids. By putting them in the chapter titles. Yes, that's how he addresses yeah. this, is by putting in chapter <laughs> titles. And the chapter titles, I'll just give you some of the chapter titles. These are fantastic. Uh, chapter 2, Critical Thinking and Critical Theory. <gasps> oh, they address oh, no. critical thinking and critical theory in this book? Why, why didn't you give us any quotes from that chapter to tell us mm, yeah, what they're talking that. about? Yeah, funny that. I just I put have, the title Literally a case of just reading mm. the headline. Like the <laughs> chapter five, Oppression and Power. Mmm, doesn't that sound... And yeah. to be fair, I think this probably is some of the sort of stuff that Mark's been talking about. But of course, yeah, Mark has just been lying about what people about mean. The book as well. Like. Oh, sure. But Mark has just been lying about what people mean when they say these things and what the outcomes people want are and what they think yeah. should be done to achieve them, right? It's all a cultural revolution that, to Mark. That's what it all is. When really it's just like, hey, uh, you know, maybe uh, deal with some of these underlying issues, right? Uh, understanding the global organization of racism through white supremacy 
Mercy, chapter 9. Isn't that just, isn't that just evil? Here's one that probably really bothered Mark. Chapter 12, putting it all together. Isn't that bad? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. A, a conclusion chapter? Is that what you're telling me? Wow. And then he gets a block quote from the introduction, and that is, I will finish off by reading that and the final paragraph before we get to what's going to be uh, the start of the next episode, which is the new, the 1619 Project. Ooh. Don't you know the 1619 Project wants to destroy America? So I'll read this to finish off the chapter. Quote, and this is from that, uh, that book he was, he was talking about. We hope to take our readers on a journey that results in an increased ability to see beyond the immediate surface level to the deeply embedded injustice dot dot dot. Mm, that's only three dots. That's only three dots. Injustice that for many of us is normal and taken for granted. Looking head on at injustice can be painful, especially when we understand that we all have a role in it. However, in taking our readers on this journey, we do not intend to inspire guilt or assign blame. <laughs> Mark, put a fucking ellipsis there. Take out the part yeah. that cuts against everything you have been screaming about this entire chapter. Where if you have said that CRT is all about forcing people to feel guilt, forcing white people to acknowledge that they are responsible for racism. <laughs> Take that out. Lie to us better, Mark. Lie to us it would better. Be so easy. He loves an ellipsis. He does. Continuing. At this point in society, guilt and blame are not useful or constructive. No one reading this book had a hand in creating the systems that hold injustice in place. But each of us does have a choice about whether we are going to work to interrupt and dismantle these systems or support their existence by ignoring them. There is no neutral ground. To choose not to act against injustice is to choose to allow it. Benedict, I don't know about you. Can you think about any quotes maybe Mark might like about, you know, whether you, um... I don't know, maybe some of them are people thriving, people do nothing, stuff yeah. Yeah, along yeah, those yeah, lines. Yeah, 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 maybe, Mark, maybe some Martin Luther King quotes, yeah. That Mark might parrot uh, superficially yeah. as, a, as a slogan yeah. because he doesn't actually have a deep understanding yeah. of any of these yeah, concepts. Yeah. That the, basically the, tracks yeah. exactly with that sentence. Yep, exactly. We hope that this book gives our readers the conceptual foundations from which to act against injustice. And then Mark says... CRT is now firmly entrenched in American universities and colleges, and its reach is widespread. The website Legal Insurrection, which, oh my God, Bennett, we are going to have to talk about that someday, <laughs> founded by Professor William Jacobson of Cornell Law School, provides the most comprehensive database of more than 200 colleges and universities that are using critical race training on their campuses. Bum, bum, bum. End of the first half of chapter four of American Marxism. Good God, is that Tough. not Tough. insane? It's the thing that was crazy. The thing that broke my mind was how often he would have block quotes, because that's all he's capable of doing, block quotes that directly refute his underlying premises about what these people think, believe, and want. Like we just saw in that final one I read, and there was like, how many of those block quotes did we not read when going through that chapter? Oh, a lot, yeah. Because we would have had to read the entire minute. fucking book. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, the block quote contained language refuting Levin's underlying premise, right, about what they want or what they believe or whatever the case might be. It is insane how often that happened, and then Mark just screams that it's all Marxism. Yeah, right, of course he would. But that's all, I, he, that's all he's done in the book so far. Uh, God damn it. It's... There's only, at times like this, there's only 
only one thing you can really say about it, which is is probably hat tip, rumble, cut eight, go. I mean, I don't know how to summarize it. <laughs> that is as applicable to what we're talking about as Mark's fucking responses to the block quotes. As applicable. Hot, <laughs> hat, hat tip, Marcus, cut eight, go. <laughs> I need to find a quote of him talking about Mark Hughes that I can put into our, our list of, of uh, cuts. We'll yep. see. We'll see if I can find something. Can you splice it to be a hat tip Mark Hughes? <laughs> if you can, that's just what we Benedict, have to I use. Am a, I am a wizard of audio. You know this. All, know. The, all the Mark Levin quotes, actually, by the way, uh, those are not things he has said. Uh, he is a completely normal, reasonable person uh, who has very good critiques. And I have just cut all of his words together to make him sound like a wacky loon who says the New York Slimes and uh, the Daily Schmo and uh, the Washington Compost and and those sorts of crazy things. That That's all me. It's all me. So, of course, I'll try and make that happen. Thank you. But uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to Patreon.com, become a patron for as little as $1 an episode, for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early release of all of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, J.D. Menges found the song. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. George Saulnier, Tinker's Dam, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Shannon Haleman, Utah Outcast, Paws, Brentley, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Dodd Snow, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Taro Tacannon, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all as always. For being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, pop goes the weasel. Goodbye. Bye. Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.